The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. A couple of weeks ago, I tried to emphasize that even though verse 15 uh, is expressive of so much of the gospel, it ought not to be disconnected from its predecessor, from verse 14. Both these statements, well, they're really one statement. The Lord God's address to that old serpent, the devil. A declaration in which both verdict and sentence were combined. At his moment of triumph, having set up his kingdom, his rebel kingdom, in God's garden shrine, and claimed Adam and Eve as his subjects, he hears his effective deposition as king, and the announcement of the disruption of his kingdom, which was commenced even at the point when it was announced. We move on now to verse 15 and focus on the term seed. Quite clearly, it is significant in this 15th verse. Uh, It indicates that others are involved in what has been enacted beside Satan and beside Eve and Adam, there are others, namely the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. This dimension, these others that are involved, are introduced, it seems, rather suddenly in this account. What can justify that? Well, it's important to bear in mind uh, the circumstances that obtained both prior to the fall and uh, as a result of it or in it. Because Adam and Eve were not only the first humans, they were the first parents. And at the end of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, uh, you know that to them the Lord God gave a charge, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that task was assigned to them, having their having been made equally in the image and likeness of God. And at the end of chapter 2, when Eve is created to complement Adam, Uh, we have a statement that a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There is the family context within which that creation mandate was to be put into effect. They were to procreate after their kind, not merely human beings, but in the image and likeness of God. And that image was transmitted or would be 
transmitted, would be transmitted as mysteriously as, in point of fact, sin is transmitted today. Via ordinary generation, just like all the others of all, all the other orders of creation, so Adam and Eve would procreate after their kind in the image and likeness of God. And that would be enhanced, of course, if Adam and Eve, by implication, had successfully passed that probation which God had put upon them. But as you know, in the event, the probation was not kept successfully. Transgression entered. So what then happens? What happens is this, that the likeness of Satan is transmitted. Mysteriously for sure, but really. And given the fact that Adam and Eve have sinned and have fallen, now the situation that obtains is this, that all that they can do is not to procreate in the image and likeness of God, but you remember in Genesis chapter 5, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became a father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image. Not the image and likeness of God, but in his own image and in his own likeness. So at this point in time, so to speak, within the narrative recorded, or the history recorded. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are sinners, and potentially and really so are all their descendants. All spiritually dead. All under condemnation. The image of God defaced beyond human repair. Life beyond reach. Satan's goods. He has captured them all. They are enemies of God and now friends of Satan. And that would be the unvarying story of mankind. However long it ran, however short it ran, and for sure it would run shorter than longer. Well, what is going to happen then? What is going to happen to sinful mankind? How is the Lord God who comes upon this scene and comes into the garden, how is he going to remain Lord God and deal with the situation? We may say something like this, can't we? He could have left them all in sin. But that would have been merely to honor his justice, not mercy. Lord, Jehovah, Redeemer. He could have saved them all. And that would have been to honor his mercy, but not his justice. Neither is possible. Because each would involve a denial, a self-denial of God. It's not possible for God to do such a thing. He maintains who he is. He manifests who he is. He must therefore make a way for justice and mercy to be exercised. It was. He did. How? 
Well, first, by making a distinction within fallen mankind. He displayed justice and mercy to two seeds, to the serpent and the woman first, and then to their seeds. That is what he declared in the garden and set about doing. Of course, he had planned it before. Now he was putting it into operation. Having differentiated within fallen mankind between objects of justice and wrath and objects of mercy, Romans 9. Here, election and reprobation is in embryo. Who dares challenge him? Many do, but no one should. No, not one. Because all deserve justice. Not one deserves mercy. In Adam's fall, we sin it all. This is how God, who is just and merciful, deals with fallen mankind. He makes this distinction within the human race. But he maintains it throughout the course of Old Testament history, doesn't he? What he he does is he sets up conflict. He sets up a war in effect. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Where that unholy friendship was first forged, where that enmity against God was first conceived, that's where the first stroke of mercy is brought to bear on the human situation. Because while we read of enmity, that's a term for countering the enmity, reversing the enmity, or to use a New Testament term, reconciling. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now you're friends. You've succeeded in bringing that about. And at a stroke, by his word, deed, God brings that unholy friendship to an end and creates holy enmity or sacred friendship. There and then, Eve saw the serpent as she never had really seen him before. And faith was born in her heart, as is shown later. But that enmity stroke friendship is sustained and maintained throughout the course of the Old Testament. There are now Satan's seed and the woman's seed. There are those like him. There are those like her. There was Cain, who was of the evil one. And Abel, who was just and righteous. 
and down through the history of the Old Testament. That's what you see. There's Isaac and Ishmael. There's Jacob and Esau. There's Israel according to the flesh. There's Israel according to the spirit. But remember, there's Hagar, the Canaanite. And there's the Shunammite woman. There's the widow of Zarephath. Though this runs mainly along a national line, it doesn't exclusively run along a national line. But what is shown is this, how just God's justice is in dealing with ongoing enmity against him and against his people and how merciful he is to those who trust in his promise of a savior. But then it all comes to a head, doesn't it? He makes this distinction. He maintains it and then maximizes it, brings it to a head. There's this long war that comes to a climax in a battle in a battle between the seed of the woman in particular, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, not by generation, but by gestation, the son of Mary and the son of God. And here the battle is not between one seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Here the battle is between the seed of the woman and the serpent. Here is head to head. God's Messiah. Satan, the prince and king of evil. It's hand to hand combat. Or rather it's foot to foot, isn't it? He shall bruise you ahead. You will bruise his heel. As the foot of our Lord's humanity came down on the head, the authority, the death-retaining power on account of sin's enslavement, the death-retaining power of Satan. And he himself is bitten. It's only on his heel. Because he is the incarnate Son of God, as well as the Son of Mary. And there in Calvary, justice was honored and mercy was shown. And as a consequence, the seed of the woman becomes more numerous, more international than ever it did. Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, bond free. Doesn't matter. All one in Christ Jesus. And all of them overcome Satan through the blood of the Lamb and the voice of their testimony. Keeping the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whose friend are you? Who's your foe? side are you on? The answer to that question indicates to whom you belong 
God in Christ. Or that foul death dealing. Fiend. Who is intent on dragging men and women. Down to eternal destruction with him. Whose are you? Now. By faith. That's whose you'll be. For all eternity. Let's stand and sing these two verses. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Copyright 2009 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.